This podcast is a part of the Carbon Almanac Network of Podcasts. Hi, I'm Christina. I'm from Prague. Hi, I'm Jen, and I'm from Canada. Hi, I'm Ola Banji, and I'm from Nigeria. Hello, I'm Liki, and I live in Paris. Hi, I'm Brian, and I'm from New York. Welcome to Carbon Sessions, a podcast with carbon conversations for every day with everyone from everywhere in the world. In our conversations, we share ideas, perspectives, questions, and things we can actually do to make a difference. So don't be shy and join our Carbon Sessions because it's not too late. Hi, I'm Liki. Hi, I'm Christina. And hello, everyone. I'm Brian. And today we have the great opportunity to interview a really impressive company that I've recently been getting to know that has been helping research, instigate, and implement some very interesting innovations around how to build affordable housing in a much more sustainable and climate-positive fashion. Uh, So I'm going to start by introducing Chris Rayleigh, the president of SCG Florida, as well as Jordan Rayleigh, his son, and his other son, Bryce Rayleigh, um, who have a very interesting story of how they came to build in this current iteration of SCG and the impacts it's making. Chris, I'm going to start with you. Tell us a little bit about SCG and and how you went from being a builder to the kind of builder that you are now. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. And thank you, Brian, for the introduction. Nice to meet all of you. Um, you know, we I've been doing this for about 25 to 30 years in the home building side, uh, and my company... Uh, I established my own independent company a little over 20 years ago as SCG. Uh, I first started out as uh, basically um, a consulting group where we were doing just, and I was doing primarily just consulting work for other builders, helping them on the land acquisition side, the building side, the development side. I have an engineering and finance background. So it, you know, it was a a very straightforward fit for me. And and, then, you know, my company grew and then shrank during 06, 07, 08, 09, uh, down to just me. <laughs> and uh, it was tough times for everybody in the industry. Um, I was able to survive by continuing my consulting work on the financial side with a lot of the banks that were in trouble. And they came to me to help them with their real estate problems. And uh, so I then began to learn the finance side uh, from a banking standpoint, which was quite interesting. So now combining the engineering background as well as the, the experience that I had, Um, we've been able to apply all of that to what we're doing now, which is sustainable workforce housing. And our goal was to, I think my son Bryce will put it best, is to to build something sustainable that's also economically viable, because if it's not economically viable, it's not sustainable. And that's it. So we started the venture, uh, the three of us, about three years ago, uh, when Bryce graduated from college uh, and Jordan had graduated from high school. And, um, you know, they had been around obviously me, because I worked from home a lot and seeing what I did, um, they were going in completely different paths. Um, and COVID brought us together, um, you know, uh, not by choice, but by force. Uh, you know, we, we all ended up in the same house again. Jordan couldn't leave to go to college because of COVID. Bryce had just graduated and couldn't go to work because of COVID. So we, uh, we decided to dig in and do what Brian said, start doing some research to start trying to figure out what, what does sustainability mean? How can it be applied to the home building industry and how can we do it in an economical way to help solve two problems, climate problems and affordability problems that exist for housing throughout the entire world right now? I mean, you know, big time. 
I mean, you know, Africa's having problems with this right now along the coast because people are being relocated off of the coast inland and there's no housing. They're living in tents for the last four or five years. So this is not a U.S. problem. This is a world problem um, that wasn't a U.S. problem until, uh, until COVID. And COVID really exasperated this problem because real estate shot through the roof. Everybody wanted a home. No one could really afford them, but they got them anyway. And, and there was nothing sustainable about any of it. Um, you know, so that's, that's where we're at uh, now. And, you know, and as a president, uh, it's my job to put all these pieces of the puzzle together and, uh, and make it work. That's great. Hey, Bryce, I want to come over to you next and ask you to talk a little bit about this. So your father is, is in home building and, and construction and, and that side of the thing. You're going through college. Um, co- you're, you graduate college. COVID has just hit, like just as you're graduating college. Talk to us a little bit about that process and, and especially to our young people listeners, um, sort of how you made the choice to sort of like go in this direction. Now, you, you know, your major in college was already environmentally focused, but like what led you to help make that decision to really push for this in the professional side as you, as you left undergraduate? Sure. Yeah. So I think when I graduated, I honestly wasn't sure what path I was going to take. I originally was going to go into law school. And um, I had thought a lot about it, and I started studying for the LSAT. And as I was studying, I realized that this is something that I just didn't see myself doing for the rest of my life. Um, You know, I said to myself, I want to be passionate about what I'm doing uh, when it comes to my career. And I want to be helping people in a way that I enjoy. So I think that I always loved the ocean and the environment. I grew up as a surfer. So, you know, I'm in the ocean as much as I possibly can be. Obviously, I work a lot now, so (laughs) I can't surf as much as I used to. But um, I really enjoy surfing. I was a surf instructor when I was in college. Um, So I've I've been in the ocean and pretty much a waterman my whole life fishing. And uh, you have a different appreciation, I think, of, of the environment when you're in it all the time. And when you're absorbing, like, everything around you you gain like a completely different perspective than if you're just, you know, landlocked or, you know, you you go to the beach sometimes, but you don't like the sand or, you know, you don't really swim out in the ocean. Um, So it really, I think that led me to really the environmental science side of it when I studied it in college and marine science. And I wasn't sure where I was going to go with that. I decided to focus in on environmental consulting because I thought that was a way to really make a difference right out of, right out of school. So um, that was my plan. And then I, some of that aligned with what, uh, Chris does, what my dad has been doing. So that's kind of where I said, you know, what, why don't we work together and, and, and make this sustainable and I'll be able to make more of an impact, uh, through the SCG platform than I would if I had just gotten hired by, um, you know, some giant firm as a, as a little fish in a big pond, basically. Um, so that's when I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try this out and see how it goes. Um, so we really started pushing that and I realized that the, the side of it that most people don't see is, is the documentation and, and seeing it from a different perspective. Um, so I started Green Life Visions to really educate and, um, try to get, you know, all these issues, bring them to light in a way that's easy to understand. You know, like what is eutrophication, for example, what does that mean? Like, what does it mean when we pollute our waterways and that causes algal blooms and how does that affect us? Things like that. Like, why is that important? Why do we care? Why should we care? 
Um, so kind of just the, the advocacy and the education and bringing it to awareness and bringing it to light is, is kind of where I went with it. And that's where I launched Green Life Visions. And, and now I'm pretty much um, working with uh, Chris. And when he needs help, I'm, I'm here to help him through the sustainability consulting and the green building. I uh, went and studied LEED, became a green associate through LEED. So I understand the whole process of, uh, you know, from horizontal to vertical construction, what it means to be green as, as far as you can be. Um, so from there, I pretty much have been working on Green Life Visions and, and focusing a lot on education, awareness, like, for example, creating marketing presentations or um, different things for companies that are interested in, in showing um, what their brand is doing. Uh, Plastic-free consulting, meaning going in and, and breaking down how can we reduce single-use plastic in businesses. So I work with a few companies, uh, one of them being Oceanic Global, a few other ones that are um, also working with the United Nations. So basically from there, uh, that's, that's where Green Life Visions really started to take off. And that's, that's where I've been going with it from there. And then uh, on the SCG side, it's mostly the green building and we have the plans, we have everything ready. It's just a matter of, of getting everything um, in the ground. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Now I want to ask, I'm going to go uh, into a question that, that any one of you can, can answer, I think. But one of the things that I really liked about SCG, which just to, for our listeners, I realize I should have said, it stands for Sustainable Construction Group. Um, so it is about sort of the sustainability. And, and I encourage everyone to go check out their website at uh, sustainableconstructiongroup.com or SGC, or at, yeah, scgflorida.com. Um, and it'll be in the show notes as well. So it's there for you in case I you listen to it. So I want to go, you you also like in addition to going and taking some of the best practices out there in the market and saying like hey let's bring together best practices for sustainable construction um things like bioswells and and water retention and solar panels and rooftop gardens some of these you know ev charges in your communities that you're building that kind of good stuff in addition you've sort of like taken an onus upon yourselves as a as a business and sort of on the consultant side to go help push the envelope and take some of your own time to go work with some outside researchers and some universities to go help create new solutions where you found there wasn't one, but you needed one to be more sustainable. So I sort of want to turn to that. And I don't know if, I know you've done a number of things, whether you want to chat about the biochar side of things or some of the swales, like you tell me which, which sort of innovative thing that you've pushed, which envelope you've pushed, you want to tell us about, but it's, it's a really interesting idea to, to sort of be thinking about like helping push to create a new solution that you can then go implement. Well, I think there's two sides of that's the, 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 the new technology side, which has to do with the environment. And then it also has to do with the S and the G of the ESG, right? So we've been talking about the E there's the S and the G, which really Jordan focuses on quite a bit. So I'll let him start answering after I finish, but you know, we took, what ESG is, and we kind of redefined it for what it would, how it would apply in the real estate industry, right? ESG right now is a finance term, believe it or not. It's really, really just being used for how it applies economically. Nobody has really started thinking about how does it work operationally, okay? And I think that is super critical. So we created programs through partnerships with the University of Miami that Bryce headed up where we created documentations. Uh, we can 
made a sustainable living guide. He just finished up another project with University of Miami for a circular economy guide. Um, these are things that we took young students who are going to be living in this world that we all created for them and have to deal with it. They got to deal with the climate change. They got to deal with the lack of affordability. What's their perspective on it? What are their thoughts on it? So all of that went into those documents and those documents, we use them, as Bryce said, to present to municipalities, to present to the governing officials, to get them to understand what it is that we're really trying to do. So from an environmental standpoint, the things that you mentioned, one of the kind of unique technologies is biochar, which is made from decaying trees or trees that are actually emitting carbon. And, and no longer producing the oxygen that they were producing before because they're starting to decay or they have health issues. We turn that into something called a biochar, which is a pure carbon. Um, and then we put that back into the soil to help control pollution and help control retention. So as a real estate developer, as Bryce mentioned, eutrophication and algae blooms, all of that comes from stormwater runoff primarily, right? Because it doesn't exist out in the ocean. It's coming from the land. It's coming from what we're doing wrong in the land. Go look at the sargasm. It's coming from something we're doing wrong in the land. It's not coming from the ocean. The ocean balances itself out. We're throwing that balance off because we're using too many fertilizers, too many pesticides. Too many. So biochar is, a, is an excellent solution. The challenge is finding the right type of biochar and finding enough of it. So we happen to find the, the guy that's, that's kind of the, the forefather of that over in Europe. who has been doing it for 30 years. He's opening up a plant here that we've helped him with. Um, in, in Indian town, right down the street from us, where he's going to start producing biochar here in the United States. He'll be the first one of its kind. It's a vertical oven. So, you know, we did a study with the University of Florida to test some of his biochar that he brought over from Europe to make sure it would work for the, the things that we were looking to use it for. And it was amazing. It, it held twice as much water and controlled twice as much pollution as normal soil does. But that's huge, okay? And that's with a mixture of 50-50. That wasn't just pure biochar. That's just putting a 50-50 mixture of existing soils and putting them together. So that was, you know, from an environmental standpoint, and Bryce was highly involved in that um, on the front end um, and working with the, the scientists and, and doing that. And then, and then we said, okay, that sounds great. Now, how does that work? What do we do now to, to say, okay, that's a great technology on the environmental side. What's the technology we're going to use on the social or, or the government side? You know, what, what are we going to do for that? So, you know, I, Jordan can share a little bit of that, about that, I guess, of what we've really done to, to kind of make that happen. Um, so, Jordan, if you want to. That's great. No, so um, socially, we saw kind of two goals that we wanted to accomplish. So, you know, one, socially right now, we're having more on or less an affordability crisis. Um, you know, we see a lack of community right now in the current developments that are going on in the current communities that we live in. Um, you know. As the U.S. is, it's a very capitalistic society, and you know what we're seeing, especially for my generation, is just this competition for, you know, money and to live in these nicer homes. And in a sense, I feel like we're competing with one another. Um, even in the places where I live, I don't feel a sense of community here. Um, so, you know, socially, what can we do in terms of technology? You know, as a community, so you know, these are things we thought of, and you know, some ideas that you know we're spitballing is you know having nice amenities, having nice features to our communities, places where people can meet up and hang out um, and talk to one another. You know, we, um, even on the environmental side, you know, we're going to host competitions who can be the cleanest this month. You know, um, if you're recycling good, if you're, you know, doing everything that you're supposed to be doing in a sustainable community, you're going to get $200 off your rent. 
Um, so we're kind of spinning it positively and bringing people together with a similar interest in one place. Um, and I think, you know, nowadays we get also caught up in, you know, social media and what's going on in every, every other person's lives. We're not too, you know, focused on what's immediately around us. You know, even me, you know, I barely know my neighbors and I've been in the same building for two years. Um, so I feel like we do get caught up in this world of, um, you know, me, 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 focus on me, but we're not really focusing on anything else. You know, environment, you know, our community, the effects of, um, you know, the long lasting effects that may have. Yeah, and I think what we did, Brian, you mentioned Sustainable Construction Group, I think it's important. We formed three companies. We formed Sustainable Construction Group, Sustainable Management Group, and Sustainable Social Group, specifically for the E, the S, and the G. Sustainable Social Group for the S, Sustainable Management Group for the G, which is the governance, and Sustainable Construction Group for the E. And, you know, as Jordan mentioned, trying to create that sense of community, we knew that we would need all three aspects in order to accomplish that. You know, and, and most importantly, on the on the social side of it is we, you know, last semester, Bryce worked with the students on circular economy and he can kind of go into that. But the, the students came up with an idea and the professor did as well to create a community wide charter. And I thought this was a brilliant idea. And it's a charter that each resident, when they come to live in the community, has to sign. And it's basically a charter that says, hey, this is what you need to do to live sustainably in this community. And we're going to require, we're going to hold you accountable for that through the HOA. So that's the governance. That's a sustainable managed group is going to hold you accountable on the sustainable social side to do what you're supposed to be doing. And if you don't do it, it's going to affect your rent and it's going to affect your HOA, which in effect affects all of your neighbors. And, you know, so that's, that's how to generate this sense of community. And, you know, without doing it in a quote unquote communistic way, right? There's a difference between socialism and communism, right? And I think people have lost what that difference is. Socialism is everybody cares about each other. Communism is one guy cares about himself and screws everybody else. Excuse my French, right? That, that, that's, that's the difference, right? So, you know, we, uh, we as, as capitalists tend to have, the, you know, some of the best social programs around are Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. These are all social programs where people are supposed to care about people, right? So we wanted to create that in our communities. And, um, you know, I think, Bryce, you can probably share what you did last semester on the circular economy side with, with that with the students, because I think this was a really, um, really important uh, aspect of, of what we're trying to do. Um, so I know Bryce is going in and out. Yeah, go for it, Bryce. Yeah, so I think that in terms of the charter and everything we've done with uh, University of Miami, I guess I would say the thing that stands out the most to me would be understanding, you know, what is feasible, you know, so what what are things that we can encourage the residents to do in a way that they actually, you know, feel good about it and it, it brings joy and, and they're motivated intrinsically to actually do it rather than just instill a bunch of rules and police our residents, which in my experience, I've seen a lot in condo associations. So, um, you know, and, and maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but, you know, we want to stay as far away from that as possible with what we're doing because it just, it's not exactly, uh, you know, democratic. So our goal is to, with the charter was to get people to be on all, all be on the same page of, okay, if I'm helping, um, the environment I'm helping myself too, 
and I'm helping others at the same time. So everybody, it's a win-win for all of us. And, and really explain that in a way through the, the presentations and the documentation that we created so that it's very clear to, to the average person, to anyone who, who reads that uh, charter and, and reads that presentation. They can understand what it means when you go into an SCG community and, and how you contribute as a resident. So, Sign me up. Sign me up. Leaky, I think you had a question. I'm going to hand it over to you. I was blown away when I was on the website, SCG website, because I was blown away by all the little details and you know, the whole aspect of the environmental aspect of resiliency and compliance and all that. But now hearing you talk about it and uh, seeing the team, I'm just amazed. You, know, you have such a great team. So, wow. Um, so I have, a, I have actually a couple of questions, but yeah, let me just focus on one is um, in for my day job, we were talking about day jobs early on, um, I help small companies in the fashion industry become more sustainable. And also I help existing sustainable fashion company transition into a circular economy. And the one thing that is quite difficult is to transition because when you transition into a circular economy you really need suppliers you need to you actually you are building the whole ecosystem and i'd like to hear your process of starting um and transitioning because i understand that your whole movement started three three years ago when COVID hit so how was it when you started and when you you know, how was it to find the right suppliers or how to convince existing suppliers to become more sustainable and enroll them into your project, basically? Well, I think the question is a great one. And it was one that we asked ourselves early on because of my engineering and finance background. Bryce is the one who suggested this has to be economically viable. So we started with the economy of sustainability, not the practice of it, but the economy of it, okay? Now, that was easy for us to do because we weren't transitioning anything. We were starting from scratch. So we were able to build this in an economical way without needing to retrofit or refurbish or re-educate. You know, it's different when someone's learned a bad habit and you got to reprogram them away from that bad habit. Okay. A lot more goes into it than if you can start them with a good habit from the beginning. So I knew that from all of this gray hair that I have and from those two boys that my wife and I raised that teaching good habits early on is one of the most important things. So that's the approach that we took. So I would say in your industry, if you're starting from scratch, no problem. If you're trying to retool and reshape, there's only one way to do it. You have to show them how it's economically viable and why it's economically viable to do that. You're not gonna be able to talk to them about how it's good for the environment and it's good for all this stuff. You're gonna to have to start with why it's economically viable, okay? And that's where circular economy really, really starts. And I think Bryce and the students last semester did a wonderful job of not only teaching about circular economy, but showing how it's economically viable in any industry that you're in. I mean, there are grants, there are tax credits, there, are, there is money out there that you can never even have imagined that will help people in that, in that regard to become more economically viable. So that's really the answer twofold, either start from scratch where you can teach people the right way from the beginning, or in order to reteach them, 
get them thinking about their pocketbook first and they'll listen. Yeah. They'll listen. Because because you're asking them to change the habits. And so there must be a very, very strong incentive for them to change the habits. So, yeah. Yeah. Habits are changed one of two ways incentivize or pain, right? Yeah. And no one likes pain. Okay. So, you know, no one likes to go to the doctor after they had a heart attack and said, hey, you got to change your diet. Well, you're going to change it, but you could have changed it 20 years ago and you would have been at the doctor. So, yeah. So, you know, Bryce's approach was, hey, and he can speak to this, but and he said it, but let's make people want to do this, okay, by showing them how it's good for the whole community and for everyone. And, you know, when you're starting from scratch, that's a lot easier than if I went into an exit, like we don't do existing communities. I, I won't even try because I, I'm too old and, and, I, and, I, and I know what happens, right? It, half the people will do it, half the people won't, and you'll end up with, Republicans and Democrats and two different parties, and you'll see where it goes, like our country's going, polarization. So, you know, start in the middle and go from there, you know, and so focusing on the economic side will will definitely get people motivated. Right. Yeah. Thank you. I, I want to go to and, and sort of draw out something that you all, Chris Jordan and Bryce, have sort of been speaking about a little bit, but I want to like draw it out for our listeners to hear, which is you've referred to like when Bryce was working with the students, right? And one of the things I love about your company and having gotten to know you all is that you're like, you're constantly thinking about new ways to tackle the, the thing that's in front of you and figure out how to get around it or over it or through it, right? In some cases, you're like, hey, we don't have a way of really controlling our wastewater or, or runoff water and not creating. Let's go find someone who knows about this and go work with the university, test it, like workshop it. Like, let's go invent a new solution to solve this problem. And in another way, this other thing that you've sort of lightly referenced here is like, hey, let's go both spread our message and talk about what we're doing, but also get these other insights from, from in this case, I, I would guess these students are mostly young people, but maybe not. But let's go get other insights from some young people and let them hear our problems and our challenges and the, and the things that we're ready to, to tackle and see what they think of. And, and I'm curious, how did you come to the decision? Because I think this is, again, something that our, our listeners and, and their, in their respective businesses, like this is a tool, this is a concept of like, wait, let's take our problem and go work with a student ecosystem for free, right? Like I'm assuming these students aren't being paid per se, right? It's like a, like you're bringing a, a challenge to them that's some curriculum, real world curriculum, and they're tackling it. So I want to hear a little bit about how you decided to do that and how that process went and that kind of thing. Because I feel like that's a lesson that other people can emulate. Right. Take it away. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so basically we started out, I had gotten accepted uh, to business school at University of Miami. They were, they were recruiting me to go. And um, I started to speak with a few of the the advisors and the faculty there regarding, you know, if it's possible to work with the school through what we're doing real world. And um, we talked with the dean. His name was Dean Quelch. He no longer works uh, at University of Miami. They have a new dean now, but he's still around and, and he's John Quelch is his name. But anyway, we were we talked with him and and spoke with him and he connected us with a few professors at the University of Miami doing applications in sustainability. So real world, um, you know, real world applications of, of 
sustainable business practices. So how do you have a financially feasible business that's sustainable and incorporates the principles of ESG, as, as Chris was mentioning? So ESG is um, more of a thing in the corporate world, but we kind of took a spin on it and tried to make it more personal. Um, you know, the social governance side is more about in a giant company, how do you like not have this corporate veil and this, um, you know, lack of communication and bureaucracy that you see a lot in corporate America? How do you how do you take that away? That's really what how social governance started in the 90s. And um, that's kind of what it is in ESG right now. But what we did was we took a spin on it and said, OK, how can we really, you know, make a social impact? And um, there's also the DIE, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, which is important for our residents. So how do we incorporate that? And then how do we manage what we're doing in a way that's fluid, that's transparent, and that everybody can see? So that's really how we started working with UN because we wanted to create these documents that were transparent and and um, easy for people to follow and understand and, and show really what we're doing in a visual way. So that's where we thought uh, we could bring in the sustainable business school students because they were figuring out ways to incorporate this. A lot of them were in architecture and um, real estate. Some of them were in uh, environmental engineering. So we had a really good team of, of students that all came together and applied what they know. And, and they were all very helpful. I think that I kind of took the lead with mentoring them. And that's what I do now. I do academic coaching as well with, Green Life Vision, so that's the educational side of it, and uh, we promote sustainability. I help students with a lot of different things, and so I kind of brought in that and into to mentoring the students. So that's awesome. I think education is, is number one. And I think Jordan. So Jordan had taken a sustainable business class with the same professor that heads up this program, uh, his freshman year, and so you know, uh, Jordan, maybe you can speak to that a little bit yeah. with Professor Hicks and. Well, it was interesting. Like Bryce, I was kind of going into the law side of things with my schooling and you know, I was all over the place. You know, I started off as like a child actor and, you know, went from that world to now I want to be in you know, law, do all this stuff. Um, and I got to college and I really didn't want to do it. Um, however, I did take a sustainable law course and it was interesting, the ESG um, implementations and the focus of ESG, you know, like Chris had mentioned earlier, the focus of ESG was on you know, their quarterly reporting was with their investors, you know, it was made for kind of a financial incentives, you know, this is something that the federal government is making these investment firms start to do, you know, how are we implementing ESG in our investments, and it was more on the corporate reporting side that class was focused on, but, you know, it also got me thinking, you know, what are we doing socially and environmentally um, sustainably, and that's kind of how Bryce got involved, you know, environmental scientists, um, but he, he's able to work with these students and it's, it's great to see, you know, they're able to come up with these ideas that you probably wouldn't get, you know, hiring someone to do it, you know, they have, it's kind of more like a free academic environment, you know, they can say something very crazy, they can say something not so crazy, um, but we take these ideas and kind of make them economically viable. Um, you know, how can we take this awesome idea and make it work? Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was, uh. Definitely a great experience. I mean, every single semester I join these calls, I'm not too involved with them, but very amazed by their work and, um, and it inspires us to, you know, continue to keep going and to add more to our programs um, and things like that. That's great. Um, thank you 
all of you. And and I really, I, I love that idea. We've done some of that in my company engaging and some of our best ideas come from that fresh perspective showing up and like being like, well, what about this? And they may not know all the constraints, but that's almost the beauty is that they don't know all the constraints. And then you hear their idea and then work it in with the constraints that are known, right? And like fashion something new. Well, Christina, I mean, I want to turn over to you. We're, we're talking to some people that build things. You've got a, a background in architecture. You've got to have some great questions for this crew. Yeah, I have construction side of the business question. And I'm incredibly impressed that you guys are not stuck on prescribed solutions. And I think that's the way out. Because uh, a few decades ago, when LEED started or any other environmental sustainability certifications, were put in, uh, the big companies uh, used it as the get gold certificates and uh, all these great certificates. But when you looked at the whole picture, it was not that sustainable and it did not make that much of a sense. So my question for you guys is, what are the biggest changes you could do in uh, sustainability and adjusting to the sensible dealing with environmental problems in your construction and your side of the business and compare like if you can pick things that you added to lead or changes with the lead ideas that would make more sense and be more sustainable. Thanks. Bryce, I'll <laughs> let you talk about the lead side. So go ahead and you can talk about why we kind of moved away from that. And then I'll talk to you, Christina, about what we did on the construction side. Sure, yeah, so that's a great question. I saw that as something, uh, Christina, that I noticed a lot when I you know, went through lead and, and really analyzed it. And the biggest reason why you probably see that is because lead focuses on energy and water savings. So like light bulbs, lighting, um, you know, small little changes in the room size and the HVAC systems and the the toilets, the the leak. They put it. They give you a ton of points for all that stuff. So most buildings just check all those boxes and get all those points. Uh, with the energy efficiency, they do building energy models, and it's really just a model. They hire an energy modeler to do it, and um, then they have these you know different mechanisms they use to to monitor like your water so actual metering so a lot of it is just data collecting data gives them points and um you know lead was made in california so that's why they put so much into water um we don't have a problem at all with water in florida you know it's always good to conserve water but we have a pretty much unlimited aquifer here and and california relies on the colorado river to pump all the water there and there's a huge amount of agriculture in at california so they have a huge problem with water there and they always will and it's only getting worse with the greater population. So I think that lead, because it's from California, they really focused a lot into water and energy and the solar because, you know, they get a lot of sun. We do too. There's other states around the world that don't get as much sun. So they have to rely on other sources like geothermal and um, and all that. But, but yeah, and then I think the other side of it that they don't, they do focus on, but it's, a, it's, it's definitely a struggle in the construction industry is, is the materials. Um, so that's that's huge. So what what materials are you using? What's the end life of your materials? So where are they going after you're done? Are they going into a landfill or not? Um, 
how do you prevent them from going into a landfill? How do you keep using them over and over again? Uh, aluminum and steel are, in my opinion, the most, I've, I've studied a lot with materials and just sustainability and materials and aluminum and, and, um, and metals. They aren't exactly the best when you take them out, but if you can, you can continually reuse metals forever, pretty much. Um, you can melt them down and continually use them. So we decided to stick with steel and the framing of our buildings. And then the wood, as long as you're planting trees, you can you can create more wood. So those are the most, rene- uh, you know, quote unquote, renewable materials, I think, right now that exist in home building, to put it really simply. I took it to the next level as an engineer, right? My background is industrial engineering, which is basically structural engineering and, and, and mechanical engineering combined into one one place you know it's how to be more more productive in in industry it should be called industrious engineering because that's really what it is we have to figure out a better solution and a better way to you know to to solve the puzzle um so when we started looking at the different types of materials we would look at we we started with okay what's wrong with concrete block well it's not carbon friendly well can we fix that well yeah we found a way through with biochar to help fix that problem but the concrete block guys weren't interested. Eh, eh, we, we don't have the money to do. No, you know, uh, I met with CMEX. I met with the biggest guys, right? Because I've known these guys for 25 years, right? I went straight to the top. Bryce was at that first meeting. It's so funny. Bryce left that first meeting and said, don't bring me back to any of these meetings. He said, he goes, I, I, I can't listen to these guys. He goes, there's, there's no way. I said, I said okay, fair enough. I, I won't take you back to any of those meetings. So we, we started, you know, Christina, with, with what was already there. And we said, how do we make it better? And then Leaky, as I mentioned earlier, we had to make sure that it was economically viable for whoever we were going to try to work with. And we, we couldn't figure it out. So then we said, okay, there's got to be a different way to build these, okay? I've done industrial stuff, so we use cold form steel. I said, well, why can't we use that in residential construction? What's the difference? You know, we just do a different gauge, make it, you know, make it. So we found a, a guy that does this and he was also at the same time looking how to get it into the industrial, uh, I mean, into the uh, residential area. So it just, it just ended up working out for us. And then we said, okay, we've got the framing now that's economically viable because it's, it's cheaper than block and stronger than block and recyclable and doesn't hurt the environment when you're making it. It's carbon friendly because it's cold form steel, not heat. And so how do we do that? And then what do we use for the, instead of using wood, which I didn't want to use because of the, even though it's recyclable, I didn't want to use wood because of the termites and the water and the problems with that. And I also didn't want to use drywall because drywall is drywall until it gets wet. And then it's wet wall. Okay, and and, and that, soppy wet wall. Very. So that's a whole nother problem. So that's not sustainable. Okay, you know, especially when it gets some mold and mildew in it, which we all found out what happened with that back in the two thousands. And I was working with the home builders when all that happened with the Chinese drywall. So it was a mess. So I said, I don't want to do that. So then we started looking at structurally insulated panels, which are made in factories. And then we started looking at okay, how do we do this in a modular way to reduce waste down to zero? which is what we were able to accomplish. So basically, Christina, what we do now is we use cold form steel and we use a limestone based structural insulated panel. And then we use hurricane windows, glass, and we put it all together in the factory. We put it on a truck, which 
We're trying to use electric trucks, but that's difficult. We're trying to be as carbon friendly on the trucking as we can. So we're setting up additional factory outlets for this, but we put everything together in the factory, which eliminates waste, controls your labor, controls the elements that are happening. We deliver it to the field. We can put together a four unit building in four weeks. Four weeks, completely done. Wow. We can put the shell and the roof on in five days. So we can move around weather events. We can do this in the snow. We can do this in the rain. We can do it anywhere because the limestone-based protection insulated pile, pretty much waterproof. It's limestone. comes from water, right? And the limestone is the way that we're manufacturing it. We're doing it in a carbon-friendly way with the extraction. So we're not having the negative impact that that concrete has. You know, there are some limestone-based concretes, but they're very, very um, non-carbon friendly because of the way they, they mix them with the concrete. So we, we've, we found, as you mentioned earlier, Brian, we found other partners to work with that were smarter than we were at, at these individual technologies, but they weren't as smart as us in putting them together in one place, right? So that was it. And, you know, and we didn't try to proprietize this or we didn't say, hey, we're, we're, we're trying to hide anything. This is all out there. You know, we just said, hey, let's put everybody together that's smarter than us. And then we'll come up with a solution that's smarter than everyone else's. You put a lot of smart people in a room and get them to work together. They're going to come up with a better solution than what's out there now because you're all thinking about it. You know, we talk daily and weekly with our suppliers and these people to, to find out how to get better. You know, how do we get better? Jordan will tell you, we're on, we're on a weekly, daily calls with our financial services platform, you know, to, to help them be better and do better constantly, you know, back and forth with the CEOs and, and the smart people in these companies, the people that are working, the people in the field. You know, we, I think working with the students was, was huge because like Jordan said, I wanted a fresh perspective. I'm 55 years old. I'm watching my two sons do things and think of things that I never thought of before. And I'm like, well, I know these other students are probably doing the same thing. What are architecture students thinking about now? Come to find out they're thinking about sustainability a lot. Okay. They're thinking about 3D printing at Florida International University. We did a 3D printing project with them. Well, 3D printing works but we're still a little ways out from getting it to be in a cost-effective way. You know, we actually have a company called Mighty Buildings that we, that we partnered with that probably in about a year will be ready to print 3D panels for us. And printing the 3D panels is even more economical than doing them at the factory the way we're doing them now. Uh, so that's all we did is we just spent the time, you know, and we're getting ready to break ground on our first project in Lake Worth Beach, probably here in about three months. And, I'm glad it took us two and a half years to put all this together from a research standpoint. I'm not glad it took us that long from a financial standpoint. <laughs> so we're making things economically viable, but I'm the one spending all the money. So it's, you know, pro bono, you're right. It's worse than that, Brian. It, it, it's pro negative bono. Because, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so uh, but the investment is always worth the return if you've mitigated your risk properly and you've done done your homework and you combine it with really smart people, okay, including students, including PhD professors, 
including deans of the business school and deans of the law school. We're in the University of Miami Law School right now trying to introduce sustainability into their law program. You know, like Jordan said, he took a class on ESG. It's just about corporate forms. Well, that doesn't mean anything. If you're a lawyer and you don't know how to fill out a form, then you're not a lawyer. But what about if you're a lawyer and you understand why you're filling out that form? Not just because you have to, but because this is why it's good to do these things, right? So, you know, even talking about things like that, I think are, you know, and I'm passionate about it because I want to leave a legacy for my kids. But also I want to, you know, I grew up on a farm in South Carolina. We did everything sustainably, okay? Everything. We use glass milk bottles, okay? I didn't know what a plastic milk jug was. So one day I came home and there was one in the refrigerator. I didn't know what it was. I poured it into the glass milk bottle and threw it in the trash can, you know, because I didn't want to drink out of plastic, you know, literally, you know, and that was before recycling. That was back in the early 70s, you know? So, and all of a sudden, glass milk bottles, the milk guy started, stopped showing up. Plastic milk bottles took over. Guy just, I knew him for five, seven, eight years. He just didn't show up anymore. So what happened? No job, <laughs> no more glass milk, no more filling your milk bottles, you know. So, you know, I, those are the types of things that we need to get back to. You know, we need to get back to just simple things. Simple things are cost effective. They're very cost effective. Coal form steel is very cost effective. It's very simple. You can recycle it from almost anything. You can find steel everywhere. You know, we found steel in Puerto Rico that we could use. The problem was we couldn't figure out how to get it out of Puerto Rico, you know, sustainably. All those old sugar mills in Puerto Rico, they're all got, they got some of the best steel in the world sitting down there that needs to be recycled. You know, I looked at how to get it out of there. We never could figure it out in an economically viable way. You know, so, you know, the real solution will be as soon as we get a couple of these projects going, well, I'll just go build it down there in Puerto Rico and use the steel that's already there. Because they need affordable housing really badly after the last couple of storms that they've had. You know, and, and that's the other thing. We're making these homes stormproof. You know, they're up, they're elevated, they're waterproof. Basically, we're even putting sprinklers in them because there's there's no polished concrete floors. There's no wood. Nothing can do. The only thing that gets damaged is your furniture, you know. And as a resident of our communities, that's really the only thing you're responsible for because our HOA takes care of everything else, including your water bill, your power bill, your utility bill, your cable bill, all through the HOA. All you have is a rent payment. And the financial technology and services company that we use is, that use that Jordan runs a partnership on even handles your security deposit for you. So you move in with your first month's rent. And we're ready to buy the home. You have a mortgage payment, an insurance payment for your dwell for your furniture, and an HOA payment. That's it. No maintenance. Appliance breaks, HOA fixes it. It's all in your HOA fees. So, you know, that's that's the that's the the G of the ESG. The social part is you can live in your home as an owner without worrying about the a flood, without worrying about a hurricane, without worrying about any of that stuff. Because it's all done with the HOA. And there's there's money in numbers, okay? We're saving a ton of money. We're doing a net zero program with FPL on the power, right? Through the HOA. Because we have, we have, you know, it's not like one guy getting solar panels, it's the whole community. Well, FPL is interested in that because they can resell that energy and they can get tax credits for reselling it because it's coming from solar. They call it net zero. They're actually making money off of it. We're, we're hitting the net zero, but then we get tax credits for it as well. So it's a net positive for everybody. 
that was a long answer, Christina, to your question, but. <laughs> um, okay, I love, I love your answer, actually, Chris. Um, but you actually, you'll probably answer my next question. But let's try. Uh, let's see if you, you can um, you can complete the, the the answer to my question. Is okay. You're building communities, and I'm going to shift to the community part of your of your business, which is um, which is making sure that everybody's behaving well in the proper way. And um, and when Bryce was talking about the charter, it made me smile because. A long time ago, about 15 years ago, I was living in Morocco. And I don't know if it happens uh, everywhere, but this is the, the first time I, I saw it. Um, but I was living in Morocco and um, there was constantly in the, in the building elevator, um, you know, name of the, of the names of landlords who have not paid the maintenance fees. Okay, you've got a solution for the money part. So what is the solution for ensuring that the that the people that the the people live that are part of its community are behaving as per you know the charter they've signed what is the the solution to that because for the money you've got a solution okay i got it but for the behavior part which is really really difficult what is the solution then technology yes that's it so that is that is it. And you can think of every single thing that technology is doing now to help control people's behavior. And then you think about putting all of that into our community from, 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 from user-friendly thermostats that are Wi-Fi and data driven that the HOA can monitor to leak detections to remember all of it runs through the HOA. I know what your thermostat set on better than you do. So if it's set on 68, and it's 100 degrees outside, I'm going to shift it up to 72 for you, and I'm going to explain to you why, right? Because in my charter, that's what it said you were supposed to do. Yeah. But I'm going to do that right from my phone while I'm in Morocco. <laughs> no, I think, I think too, I come from the property management <laughs> world, so I, I don't, we don't want to be the police for these people, and I, part of our application process is interviewing them and, you know, making sure they are a good fit, Um and I think, you know, you give the person the facility to behave good and be good. And, you know, they're surrounded by people that are also doing it. You're going to join in as well. I think, you know, join the bandwagon, you know, it's numbers and community and there's strength in community. I think, you know, just by leading the way and kind of facilitating for that thing to happen, um, especially at a more like affordable rate, you know, you, you can get a gorgeous, you know, three bedroom, two and a half bathroom, you know, townhouse so that's you know, that you can afford, you know, that you can happily live in, that you can buy eventually. So um, I think the buying aspect also plays in a lot to how they're going to handle that house um, and how they're going to be able to, you know, oh, I could buy this in three years, so I should take care of it. You know, this could be mine. Um, you know, I'm 24 years old, but I can own a house, you know. So I think that has a lot to do with, you know, how they're going to act. You know, we're not going to say, be the police, you can't keep your thermostat at 68 degrees, you know. We'll just educate why it's probably not a good idea. We're going to try to save you money or, you know, whatever. Well, we've, we've got to now connect Leaky and Christina. We've got to connect these guys with uh, uh, our last podcast. I don't know which order these will be released in, but the founder of Tetris, who's this uh, game designer um, that we interviewed uh, earlier this week, had a lot of thoughts on gamification within these social groups and, and communities and like, how you how you do some of that social pressures, Jordan, which without being draconian, 
just incentivization around social pressures and points and status and, and leveling up and all that kind of stuff. Oh, that's another whole podcast. I call it, the, for it I call it the Disney World effect. <laughs> I'm not in Florida. You got to explain that one to me. Well, how is that the Disney World effect? Is that when you go to Disney World, the first thing you know that it's good is because it's crowded. So you know you're in the right place. And then if the wait in the line is two hours, you automatically get in it because that ride must be good. So if you can create something that people think they, Steve Jobs did it incredibly well. He created something that people thought they had to have to live a good life, right? Or a, mm -hmm. uh, to keep up with, with everybody yeah. else, right? And then he reinvents that every six months, you know, which I don't go for because I still have like an iPhone 6, but, you know, that, that it's brilliant, okay? And it's and it's yeah. absolutely necessary because you are incentivizing people to spend money on things that will make them better, that will, that will you know, it's already been proven. I think Bryce did a, or, or read a study about this. Bryce, you can expand, but on that people are actually willing to spend more for something that's sustainable. They, they want to participate in that. They want to go to a restaurant that has paper straws and not plastic straws. They, they And they will pay more to go there, especially that generation of Bryce and Jordan. Right. They're going to figure out how to make enough money to be able to be able to go there. But but they'll go there. You know, so we're, we help them with that as well. You know, part of the HOA, the sustainable social group, is that everybody has a chance to interact with each other within the community and talk to each other. You know, next door. I met with a guy who founded next door and I thought, wow, that was brilliant. I don't know if you guys are familiar with next door, but brilliant concept. It's the biggest social platform for communities now in the world. I met with that guy and I'm like, man, this is amazing. I go, how do I bring that down to the community level? He said, well, that's how we started. I said, well, we want to bring it down to the community level, what we're doing. And after talking to him, I decided, you know what? We're going to form sustainable social group. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to do it in a positive way that everybody feels like. So our DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion is, if you like sustainability and you like affordability, then live in our community. Because I don't know anybody from any race any religion or anything that doesn't like those two things right unless you're i don't care who you are even the wealthiest people in the world think about those things they think about sustainability they think about affordability because they, their employees need a place to live you know mm -hmm. their workers need a place you know they, they have to think about that. Oh, yeah i'm just going to go to the gamification of things you know uh talking about that you know you i know you had mentioned like loyalty programs and that's something that uh i thought about and we thought about somewhat you know, airlines do an amazing job at this stuff. Um, you know, if there's, you know, a resident that's been great for, you know, a consistent seven, eight months, you know, awesome. You know, you can be part of this, you know, special loyalty. You get a discount on your rent or, you know, something special. You get a gift card, an Amazon gift card. So, um, and just making it apparent too to all the other residents that, oh, they're doing a great job. They got rewarded, you know, you know, they're incentivized to do well. So I think um, it does work. However, we don't want to create too much like competition within the community as well. We don't want to put stress on them. So, um, you know, we're, we're still thinking about good ideas in order to really gam gamify our communities. Um, you know, some ideas is just kind of putting, you know, the top three best energy users um, name on the board or something when they walk in and just kind of giving them some sort of recognition without being too competitive. Yeah, I love that. Taking the yard of the month concept to a whole nother level is probably what the Tetris 
people were talking about because you know using using your phone right now to make yourself feel good yeah we pretty much all do it right so you know that's technology that that's your answer how do you use technology to get people motivated right zuckerberg figured it out you know bezos figured it out it's not hard it's not complicated steve jobs had it figured out so why can't we figure it out for housing you know the question I keep asking myself is why are we using the same toilet? These toilets are inefficient. They waste a lot of water. The ones that don't waste a lot of water don't really work. So, and then what's happening to that water? So we've been looking at technology through the University of Miami, the sustainable business program in other countries, third world countries that have uh, sustainable toilets that use less water, gray water toilets. They recycle its own water and reuses it again within its own system. So it never goes into the, it never, eutrophication doesn't happen because it never gets into the sewer system. It's just, it's just a circular toilet, basically. It, it's actually incredible the amount of things and ideas that are out there that we in the U.S. have just completely missed. We're 30 years behind. We're 30 years behind of third world countries in being sustainable. I'm not talking about first world countries. We're 30 years behind of some third world countries in the way they approach sustainability. Yeah, well, and Bryce, you know, Brian, just for your information, Bryce is in the carbon credit business as well as part of what he does for his consulting. So when I told him about your uh, your plant a tree program that you implemented in 2005, uh, mm -hmm. that's insane. I mean, you know, planting a tree every time someone goes paperless with title. In 2005, you said, what, 5% capture rate? Now you're at 95% capture rate? That's insane. I wonder how much oxygen you have produced. Forget about how much carbon you save. How much oxygen have you produced? That's a huge one, right? Well, it's, it's important because a lot of people say I consume too much oxygen, but no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, because when you're planting a tree, you can't talk. So then you're okay. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Then you're good. <laughs> uh, gentlemen, this has been so great. I've really enjoyed it. And I can tell from the smile on Leaky and Christina's face as well. And, and, and I can't see our listeners at the moment, but I'm confident they're going to really be enjoying listening to this. Uh, what a wonderful time. And again, you know, thank you for sharing both what you're doing. Uh, I think you're going to have a long line of, of people signing up the Walt Disney Effect. People are going to sign up to come live in your communities after listening to this. There, there's going to be demands for you to go build communities in other areas uh, outside of Florida. We're going to we're going to get Leaky's like, hey, come to Paris. Christina's like, get over here in Montana. So really, really impressive stuff. And and even more than just what you're doing, I really love the out of the box methodology and the willingness to sort of challenge the status quo and just be like, I don't have to wait for someone else to to figure this out. I'm going to go help figure this out and move the ball the right direction in whatever way I can. And I'm going to involve my kids in it, right? I mean, just how beautiful is that idea um, for all of our listeners to be, uh, you know, hearing and thinking about. So again, kudos and thank you everyone for being here today. What a wonderful session. Uh, really excited to, to get this one out on the air. Thank you so much, everybody. We really appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to Carbon Sessions a podcast with carbon conversations for every day with everyone from everywhere in the world. We'd love you to join the Carbon Sessions so you too can share your perspectives from wherever you are. This is a great way for our community to learn from your ideas and experiences, connect, and take action. 
If you want to add your voice to the conversation, go to thecarbonalmanac.org slash podcast and sign up to be part of a future episode. This podcast is also part of the Carbon Almanac Network. For more information, to sign up for the emails, to join the movement, and to order your copy of the Carbon Almanac, go to thecarbonalmanac.org. Be sure to subscribe and join us here again as together we can change the world.